0: This message is from the Axis Church, a redeemed community of missionaries living for the fame of the real Jesus. For more information about Jesus or the Axis vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. Good morning, Axis family. How are you guys doing? Good to be with you guys in this particular way This morning. If we haven't got to meet, my name is Jason Hermansdorfer. I serve our church as the executive director. My wife, Amanda, and I walked through the doors of this church building seven years ago. At the time, we were engaged, and now we are uh, well into our marriage. We have a son named Julian, who's two and a half. We have another son named Zeke, who is eight weeks old today. And so I say all that to say that a lot of life has happened with this. A spiritual family that we call our church, and so we're grateful to be a part of what Jesus is doing through you guys. It's so fun uh, to be here. We say we love Nashville, but we really love you guys. Nashville's fun, but the church is what makes this such a wonderful place to spend our life, so thank you guys for letting us share that with you. Well, another note with for me, I'm one of the guys who went through the first season of our Pastoral Leadership Collective, And we're just starting our second season, and I'm also going through that as well. And so an encouragement to the church is that God has brought so many leaders into our midst. Even as a small congregation, He is bringing uh, men equipped to lead His church uh, into uh, the axis. And so kind of bubbling right below the surface, often unseen, is a really cool leadership development that's happening And I'm most excited to see what God's going to do through these men, uh, church planters, potential elders, guys who are going to help lead uh, what Jesus is doing here. So be praying for us. Be praying for all those guys. You're going to see more of them um, in this type of position, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, So get ready for that. We are in the first week of Advent as Christians said, and if you've been with us for a little while you know up to this point we've been journeying through the book of Luke. So for the next 4 weeks we're going to align ourselves with the long-standing tradition of the Christian church called Advent. Advent provides space for us to take time before Christmas day to anticipate the coming of the promised Messiah. As early as the 4th century AD, Christians have been observing the season of Advent. And whereas on Christmas Day, we get to joyously celebrate uh, when when God broke into human history through Jesus, Advent is a four-week period before Christmas that serves to give us space to align our hearts with the long-suffering of God's people as they waited for the promised salvation of God. Advent reminds us that the story of God's people does not begin at Christmas, and so for the next four weeks, our hope as a church community is to engage the Advent season, not simply as a countdown to Christmas, but as a re-posturing of our hearts to remember what it must have been like to wait and to long for and to hope against all hopelessness for the good promise of God's salvation. And not only that, but we also want to see how this heart posture serves us in our sufferings today. During our time together this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Lamentations to better experience the heart of God's people in the midst of a specific period of long suffering. We will use Lamentations chapter 3 to guide us in answering this question. Axis Church. How do we wait without growing bitter? Here and now, how do we endure long suffering without losing hope? And I'm not talking about a waiting that's passive. there, There certainly is a passive waiting. I'm talking about an active waiting, an active waiting that fights the drift toward bitterness and despair. So maybe you're waiting on steady employment, or a job advancement that feels like it's never going to come. Maybe you're enduring a season of infertility or an especially tedious and exhausting adoption process. I know that people in our community are are experiencing that type of waiting. Maybe you're long-suffering in a season of doubt in your singleness or an especially difficult time in your marriage. You may be waiting on that clarity of purpose. You moved to Nashville. You're not sure what you're supposed to do. You know God has a plan for you, but you're not really sure what his plan is. Maybe you're longing for a family member to come to know Jesus. Maybe you're a parent who has a, you're waiting on a prodigal son or daughter to come to their senses. Maybe you're suffering the enslavement of addiction or persevering in a justice issue that seems to take two steps forward and three steps back. So in the here and now, how will we wait without growing bitter? If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Lamentations. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles located under the seat in front of you. There should be a tray. You should be able to find a Bible. If you're like me, before I began preparing for this sermon, I would not have confidently been able to find the book of Lamentations (laughs) Um, and so here's a little trick I learned. It's just off right of center. If you can open your Bible just a little right of center, you're probably going to get lucky and get Isaiah or Jeremiah. Go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. So that's an easy way to get to this small book. Um, so b- for context, beginning in the days of King David and King Solomon, this is happening around 1000 BC. The people of God, Israel, they've enjoyed prominence and influence among the world's superpowers. And Jerusalem is their capital city. However, now Israel's bitter enemy, Babylon, has conquered the once great city of Jerusalem. And the Babylonians are especially cruel invaders. In so conquering Jerusalem, they burn and salt the fields, making agriculture futile. They fill in the wells, making mere survival a daily labor for the people. The educated and elite members of society are either killed or deported, and they raise the buildings and infrastructure to the ground, leaving behind a broken exoskeleton of what was once a great city. So imagine with me this amazing city where hundreds of thousands of Jews would come to celebrate the Feast of the Lord and the Passover this great city is now a tent camp for the poorest and neediest members of society. The book of Lamentations preserves for us the words, experiences, and feelings of God's people who have been left in Jerusalem after Babylon has wiped the city. And so as we engage with the tension of our own waiting, what can the heartache of these people experiencing this suffering, teach us today about waiting without growing bitter. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Lamentations 3, verses 1 through 33. And in this passage, I want us to see an important progression for how we can wait without growing bitter. The author of Lamentations sets this progression before us. We must lament, we must plead, and we must praise. So if you're, if you're the taking notes type, um, this is the arc of waiting that's going to guide our time. Lament, plead, praise. And we're going to progressively read the text, taking it in three sections, allowing our time to sit and think in each stage before we move forward. So before we begin, I know you're not here for my opinions on the book of Lamentations. We're here that supernaturally, the Spirit of God would speak to your hearts through his word, and I can't conjure that up on my own, so let's ask the spirit to do the work that only the spirit can do this morning, which is work and speak to you in your suffering, in your pain, through his word. Father, you're so kind. Thank you for gathering your church in this room this morning. Speak to us. I need your help. Lord, give me clarity. Give me um, the right words for this people, for your people. And Lord, would you soften hearts. God, open our eyes that we might see you through this text. Open our ears that we might hear you. Open our minds that we might know you. And open our hearts that we might love you. We need your help. We know you're ready to help. Thank you for Jesus. Pray all things in his name. Amen. All right, so beginning in verse 1, Lamentations 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. So in these first three verses and throughout this lament, you're going to see that the author is not saying God has forgotten me and therefore I'm suffering, or God has, uh, he's ignoring me and therefore I'm suffering. The author is saying, no, God is the source of my suffering. God is the active agent in my pain. Verse four, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness And tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. This lament was written nearly 300 years after King Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs. And I think it's likely that the author of this book would have known Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. But in this lament, the author says, no, he has made my path crooked. Verse 10, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. Another way to say this is, he has satisfied me with grief, or he has filled me to excess with unpleasant things. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. So Axis Church, what can we learn about waiting without growing bitter from this text? A text that says, He has besieged me with bitterness. He shuts out my prayer. He fills me with bitterness. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. In fact, this gut level expression is our first lesson in waiting. In order to wait without growing bitter, we must take the necessary time to lament to truly mourn and to deeply grieve that which has cast such a dark cloud over our hearts. Axis Church, do we know how to lament? Do we take necessary space in our lives to mourn? Do we have room for lament in our journey of faith? Is that something that we even think is a Christian thing to do? In John's gospel account, we see a story of Jesus mourning the death of his friend Lazarus. So in John 11, Jesus arrives to be with grieving family four days after his friend Lazarus has been laid in the tomb. In his encounter with his close friend Mary, we see that Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and that he weeps with her. Jesus knows he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. More than this, of all people, Jesus knows that death isn't the end, that in fact, he has come so that death would not have the final say. Yet, this knowledge of what is to come does not stop him from taking the time to experience the heartbreak of this loss. Jesus laments, he doesn't justify, he doesn't explain away the sorrow. Of all people, Jesus could have explained away the sorrow, and he would have been right, but he doesn't. Jesus feels the heartache, and he laments. Church, is there sorrow in your life that you have not engaged with yet? Perhaps a a loss, maybe even a falling away of a family or friend. You can function fine, but space has, has grown. There's a wedge between a relationship that you have. Maybe there's a health crisis that you're experiencing or a health crisis of someone that you love. So as we think about lamenting, may this text allow us to be more honest with God and ourselves than maybe we thought we could be. And an extremely, extremely practical note on lament, because you hear the word lament, and you're like, so what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get sackcloth and ash and, and go be by myself for a little while? This is really practical. This is not the only way to lament, but this is a way to lament. Create space to write how you're feeling. In your pain, create a time to journal through what's, what's going on in your life don't clean it up. You're not an author. It's not going to be published. Just write out your emotions in those moments of long suffering. And it's a wonderful way to probe your heart and find out. You might even see that you're feeling ways you didn't know you were feeling as you sit down and pause to reflect on this dark night of the soul. It's a, it's a practice that has been very healthy yet painful for me, and I would encourage you guys in that. That's one way that we can practice lament. All right, let's pick back up in our text. We're in verse 19, and here we see a shift from lament into pleading with the Lord. So whereas in the first 18 verses, the author has been speaking about God, now he directs his voice to God. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And so the second step set forward to us in Lamentation is that in order to wait without growing bitter, we must plead with God. I really appreciate this shift in the text. He goes from talking about God to talking to God because it shows us that the author allows himself in the first 18 verses to give full vent to his emotions. And now he brings the full spectrum of his feelings to God. He doesn't edit his expression to fit what he thinks God wants to hear. Even the emotions he has about God that he knows are not true of God, he's bringing those. He can feel a way that does not align with the deepest reality of who God is. He can not only feel it, but he can express it. In verse 18, the author says, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. The lament could so easily end here. And if he actually believed this, it would end here. Yet in the very next verse, he cries out to God to remember his affliction. And so for us, to feel like God is disinterested or absent or even the very source of our pain does not disqualify us from crying out to him in prayer. Perhaps even the raw feelings you have, the feelings that you believe would disqualify you from coming before the Lord Those feelings are an invitation to be more honest with God than you've ever been. Yet in this dark night of the soul, in your long suffering, what is it that holds fast even when our emotions give in to hopelessness and despair? Church, is there a truth that is more true than your emotions? Is there something more true than your observable experience. Let's finish our text. We're picking back up in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And that in his youth is speaking to the temporary nature of our suffering. And even if we have suffering that lasts a lifetime, in light of God's eternity, It is momentary. There are some tears that will only be wiped away on the last day. But even the last day, if we live a whole life with the suffering, is still temporary. These next three verses speak to the importance of having humility in our suffering. Verse 28, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. In order to endure long suffering without growing bitter, we must lament, we must plead, and now we see that we must endure through praise, For the author and for us, there is a truth that stands more true than how we are feeling in our dark night of the soul. There is a deeper reality than our temporary emotions. For the author, we see that even in the midst of great, great suffering, he leans on the good promises of God. Perhaps he remembers God's deliverance through Moses, or maybe he remembers the covenant God has made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe he's meditating on the Psalms or or calling to mind Proverbs. Whatever his muse, he holds these truths above and before his own experience, and therefore he has hope in the midst of his hopelessness. But church we have such a more magnificent muse. We have a much more beautiful and clear picture of the steadfast love than the author of Lamentations could ever have imagined. The author of Lamentations may have dared to dream that one day God would restore his nation and that in some way God would bring about a perfect city. However, much more than a perfect city, we have been given the perfect man. Jesus. And much more than a restored nation, which would eventually be destroyed, we have been given restored hearts and the promise of eternal union with God through the finished work of Jesus. Amen. At Christmas, we celebrate that in our greatest suffering, when evil had laid waste to our own hearts, leaving us spiritually dead, not only spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, we were enemies of God. God has not stood far off. He has drawn near to us in our suffering. He has gone even so far as to enter our suffering by entering human history and experiencing the trials and the suffering and the waiting of humanity. In the God-man Jesus, God not only enters our suffering, but he suffers for us. Christian, at the cross, Jesus dies as your substitute for your sin, The blood you owed God for your sin has been paid in full by him through the finished work of Jesus. The gospel of God's grace is the glorious truth that stands more true than your observable reality. It stands more true than your momentary suffering. Hold to that. Hold the gospel above and before your experience and you will be able to endure long suffering without losing hope. Lamentations 3 gives us this beautiful progression. Lament, plead, and pray. And it is the gospel that gives us the freedom to fully lament. It is the gospel that gives us the courage to continue pleading. And it is the gospel that gives us a reason to praise no matter our circumstance. And so we conclude in this way. The gospel gives us the freedom to fully lament because we don't have to pretend our pain isn't as bad as it feels. Your pain, your suffering, no matter whether you brought it on yourself or someone else brought it upon you, is real, and it stands in opposition to the way God intended it to be. The gospel shows us that whatever sin or evil is causing your pain is actually even more evil than you think it is. It's so cosmically evil that Jesus left the comfort of heaven to rescue you from it, not just now but forever. Christian, Jesus takes your suffering very seriously. He knows what it's like to suffer, and he gives you the freedom to lament that which is most troubling. Receive the grace of lament. Receive the grace of mourning the same things that Jesus mourned, the same things that hurts God's heart. The gospel also gives us the courage to plead. Does it feel like God is disinterested in your suffering? Does it it literally feel like he's shutting out your prayers? Look to the God man, Jesus, the promised Messiah. He's not sitting far off, disinterested on a king's throne. He is hanging on a criminal's cross. He is hanging on your criminal's cross. That should be me. And that should be you. Do you doubt that God cares for you? Do you doubt that God cares for you in your suffering? Set your gaze to the cross and be reminded of his care. And finally, the gospel gives us a reason to praise. Paul encourages us in this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, though we experience suffering the suffering is real. Though we experience pain, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are not seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." When we, through the work of God's spirit in our hearts, come to view our momentary sufferings in the eternal perspective of God's good plan for us, we can learn to see our suffering as a gift of grace as Brooks said a few weeks ago, we can learn to see our suffering as a severe mercy. I love that term, a severe mercy. As through our momentary afflictions, we are being transformed by grace to be people fit for God's kingdom, both now and always. And I don't say this to make light of the pain that you're experiencing. Hebrews twelve eleven says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So simply having this perspective is not going to make your pain become pleasant, but having an eternal perspective will show you that there is purpose in your suffering. Your suffering is not in vain. And as we bring the gospel to bear in our sufferings, this is how the peaceful fruit of righteousness is yielded in our lives. This Advent season, let's practice this progression in waiting and holding fast. The gospel gives you the freedom to fully lament. The gospel gives you the courage to continue pleading when it feels like God doesn't care. And the gospel gives you a reason to praise, no matter what temporary affliction you're experiencing. Yeah. Access Church, we can and we will endure our sufferings as we hold tightly to the truth of the gospel and as we allow the God of grace to hold tightly to us. So how do we do this? We do this through gathering as the church. We do this through sharing our lives with other Christians, sharing our lives close enough with other Christians who can know what's going on in our hearts, know what's going on, know what sufferings we're undergoing, and Christians who speak the gospel into our hearts. And so as you see friends that are experiencing suffering, speak the gospel into their life, speak truth into their life. Another way we weekly remember the gospel as a family is through the receiving of communion. In communion, we take pieces of bread which represent Jesus' body broken for us. And whereas our sin requires that our body be broken, Jesus steps in as our substitute to die the death we deserve. He is broken so that we do not have to be. Then we dip this bread into the wine which signifies the blood of Christ poured out for us. He spills his own blood as payment for our sin. It should have been our blood. That's what we owe. Yet Jesus has given his blood for us. And because of this history-shaping moment, the Apostle Paul can boldly write this truth about the implications of Jesus' finished work on our suffering. This is Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Through his cross, the perfect life with Jesus lived is transferred to us, and all our sin is given to him. He dies in our place for our sin to bring us back to God. And his glorious resurrection is guaranteed that God has accepted his suffering on our behalf Christian in the room, Jesus has 100% exhausted and extinguished the wrath of God that you owe for your sin. If you've accepted his sacrifice through faith, then remember it anew this morning. And if hearing it doesn't get you excited, then ask the Spirit to give you a new excitement for what God has done for you. And if you've never accepted his sacrifice, perhaps you're here, you're not even sure how you ended up in a church this morning. Uh, and in hearing the gospel, your soul says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be able to experience hope in hopelessness? Simply take Jesus this morning. Give him all your bad and receive all his good. Trust him with your sin. Receive his perfection. Give him your filthy rags. Let him clothe you in righteousness that he bought for you through his blood. Consider this. Don't miss it. It's so easy to forget. I forget. We all forget. Ask God to help you remember. And now I want to pray that God would would help us to remember this morning. Let's, Let's ask God for help to give us a fresh awe of the gospel as we receive communion together as a family. Father, you're so kind. You're so good. Thank you for this text. Thank you for your spirit and what it's going forward to do through the preaching of your word. Give us a fresh awe of the gospel. Give us an eternal perspective of our lives and our suffering. Help us to see our suffering in light of your eternity and to allow our trials to yield within us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, give us a awe of the gospel. Help us to ex- experience it anew this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. This message is from the Axis Church. A redeemed community of missionaries living for the fame of the real Jesus. For more information about Jesus or the Axis Vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org.